I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to Scuderia F1, the podcast that's always up to speed with the latest Formula One news. Follow us on Twitter at Scuderia F1 Pod and subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Daly and Kevin Laramang. Hey everybody, what is up? Welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One here on the Overtime Media Network. Mark Daly here welcoming you back to the show this week. And guys, I apologize. This was just an absolutely insanely busy week on my end. I had to postpone the recording of the show not once, not twice, but three times. And as I sit down, it is now 10.30 on a Friday night here in Vancouver, Canada, meaning that uh, most of you won't get the, the show until Saturday morning wherever you are or Saturday morning uh, technically here on the west coast of uh, North America Saturday elsewhere around the globe but it's all good I apologize once again for being so late but hey a little bit of a formula weekend, and that uh, can't be a bad thing so we have a lot to talk about since uh, we last uh, sat down around the global campfire of uh, Formula One fans and it has been a ridiculously <laughs> busy busy week and we're going to go back and uh, we're, we're going to talk. We're going to be talking a lot about Ferrari and what happened at uh, the Brazilian Grand Prix. And uh, I'd be remiss if a talking point uh, what uh, what happened. And I think it's going to really set the tone and uh, what's going to, uh, I guess, be the pecking order at Ferrari. I think they're going to have to really lay down some uh, ground rules for uh, for for 2020 and uh, and and rightly so i mean the the last thing that they want there is uh to have a situation where it uh, devolves into let's just say a hamilton type um situation that Mercedes had a couple of years ago. But before we do that, uh, why don't we uh, talk now a, a little bit, or let's just go back and just uh, go over the, uh, the the top 10 for the uh, Brazilian Grand Prix. I know it's almost a week ago, but gotta, it kind of sets up everything nicely. So winning was, of course, Max Verstappen. Second, Pierre Gasly. Third was Carlos Sainz. Fourth was Kimi Raikkonen. Fifth was Antonio Giovinazzi. Sixth was Daniel Ricciardo. Seventh was Lewis Hamilton. Eighth was Lando. Norris in the second to the McLaren. Ninth was Sergio Perez. And rounding out the 10th and final points pain position was Danny Kvyat in the other Toro Rosso. So yeah, a bit of an unusual uh, top 10 or top 10 finishers at the Brazilian Grand Prix, but it was a rather bizarre finish to the race. I mean, it looked like it was going to be business as usual, and obviously it was going to be either a Mercedes, a Ferrari, or a Red Bull winning that race. But then Valtteri Bottas succumbing to mechanical uh, issues, and then that, that triggered the first of a safety car uh, period, and then the two Ferraris doing what Ferrari's done best this year, and that's uh, shooting themselves in the foot when uh, Sebastian Vettel and um, Charles Leclerc came together after Charles passed Seb, and then Seb passed him down. Uh, the 
was the first straightaway after the Curva del Sol and uh, just really touched. Uh, they, they really did not get uh, very uh, close or, or collide very uh, hard, I should say. But it was enough to cause the damage. Charles's wing was uh, broken and Seb uh, managed to puncture his tire, a double DNF uh, for Ferrari. And then that really triggered things, really set off the unexpected avalanche of bizarreness at the end but it was it was interesting it was good to see and uh, a couple of safety cars really can change the face of a a, a grand prix i mean i'm sure i wouldn't be the only one uh, saying that i was going to expect it to be well what we've seen basically for many many years uh being like i say either mercedes ferrari or red bull winning and uh, while max verstappen did win the race i think that uh, obviously from there on down it gets interesting but hey that's a part of motor racing that's what makes it fun and Honestly, great for Pierre Gasly. We're going to talk a little bit more about him uh, later in the show, but re- really good to see uh, Gasly get a podium. And the same with Carlos Sainz, even though uh, he didn't actually get to participate in the in the podium ceremony. I mean, uh, that uh, transpired a little bit later on because Lewis getting into that uh, accident with uh, Alex Albon late in the race was handed a five-second uh, time penalty, but that didn't come down until about two or three after uh, hours after the race. So unfortunately, Sainz, although he, he got the reward of a, a P3, did didn't uh, get to actually celebrate it but hey it all works out in the end and uh well a p3 a third is a third but also good to see uh, a result a good result for the for the two alfa romeos because i mean they've been pretty uncompetitive and it's it's been uh, disappointing i mean obviously uh they're the, uh, the the new incarnation of uh sauber or sauber alfa romeo as it was last year but they did have some promising moments last year and <laughs> let's be fair most of those promising uh, moments in 2018 came at the hands of uh, Charles Leclerc, but they'd slowly been kind of, uh, well, let's say crawling up through the pecking order in Formula One, but uh, hasn't really uh, gone anywhere this year. And if anything, they've regressed a little bit over the course of uh, the entire season. Anyway, so before we get in the news, just for LARF, so even though it doesn't actually meet anything, let's just go over the drivers and the uh, Constructors uh, Championship. Obviously, Lewis Hamilton was uh, crowned uh, the, uh, the the Formula One champion, world champion again this year. A couple of races ago, nonetheless, uh, Lewis uh, coming home in seventh, uh, collected a handful of points. So he has uh, 387 for the year. Valtteri Bottas, his teammate, 314. Max Verstappen, third. Good result for Max to see him in the top three in the World Championship. Uh, 260 points. Uh, that is uh, just 11 points better than Charles Leclerc in the first of the two Ferraris with 249. And Sebastian Vettel rounding out the top five with uh, 230. And then also on the constructor side, well, I mean, it was wrapped up a, a very, very long time ago. <laughs> Mercedes, I mean, wow. You just look at the number of points they have in the constructor side. 709, Ferrari 479, Red Bull 391, McLaren 140. Good for them. Really a good year for them. Uh, way, way ahead of uh, the, the next uh, comer, and that is uh, Renault. Sorry, um, yeah, Renault, 91. And actually, it's uh, going to come down probably to the last race. I mean, uh, between Renault and Toro Rosso, uh, <clears throat> who have 83 points. So it could be interesting to see whether or not uh, Toro Rosso can um, pull up into the top five in the, the constructors. And that would be uh, kind of a, a cool thing to see. But can you really believe it? After all the months and all the races and all the travel, to literally all four corners of the the globe it comes down to one final race and then that's it the 2019 formula one world championship is a wrap after the abu dhabi grand prix next weekend and i can't believe it i really can't believe
believe how quick uh, this uh, season has gone. I mean, it's been a real privilege and a lot of fun to sit here each and every week uh, to talk about uh, Formula One, the latest news, all the races and everything that's uh, happened this year. I mean, we've been doing it for a number of years, but this year for me has uh, personally been uh, more enjoyable doing the podcast than the, than all the others. I wouldn't say combined, but uh, definitely it's it's been a fun point or a fun, fun year to podcast about uh, Formula One. And uh, well, we'll see what's going to happen over Christmas. Uh, I might actually just, I'm thinking of going on hiatus just for a couple of years, a couple of years. <laughs> some of you might like that. Some of you might not. Anyways, uh, that's a, a bit of a Freudian slip, I suppose. Anyways, I put the show on hiatus for a couple of weeks uh, over the uh, over the holidays here in the middle of uh, December. Maybe come back in the new year. Going to take a look and see what's uh, coming up. So we'll, we'll, I'll make a decision in the next week or so. And uh, well, I mean, we're going to break down the, the, the season and and kind of do a post-mortem like uh, we usually do. There's usually a lot of news after the the season ends, and we'll want to rate the drivers and the teams and all that fun sort of stuff anyways, so still plenty to talk about, uh, even if we do decide to take a Christmas holiday this year. Anyways, let's talk now about Ferrari. I think we're going to call this uh, this episode that one about uh, Ferrari, because it really is about the Scuderia and all the drama that's uh, gone on in the past uh, week. I mean, there's there's been a lot of discussion about them for for several weeks and we're going to get back into the whole engine irregularities and all the accusations that maybe haven't been out and out uh, flatly leveled at them by anybody other than uh, Max Verstappen who's uh, basically came out and said that uh, they've been cheating. Anyways, uh, <laughs> there is that to get into, but now we do have to talk about Charles Leclerc and Sebastian Vettel and whether or not this has the potential to become the next uh, Nico Rosberg and Lewis Hamilton because a quick refresher for those of you that may be uh, a little bit newer to Formula One and uh, well regardless if you if you're new to Formula One or not the um, the whole Nico Rosberg situation uh, that uh, that went on uh, between himself and, and Lewis Hamilton obviously is far different than the situation that uh, Mercedes has right now with uh, with Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas and that pair is going to be back for another year in 2020 so at least one more year with that current pairing and uh, well I mean 2021 that uh, remains to be seen of course but what a vastly different situation that uh, Mercedes have I mean uh, with uh, previously with Nico and, and Lewis I mean it was at frosty and icy and that was at the the best of times. I mean, it was downright going full on nuclear meltdown at uh, at some points. I mean, uh, I still remember several years ago, a couple of years ago now, maybe it wasn't several when uh, they came together on the the opening lap at uh, at Spa when uh, when uh, Nico put his uh, end plate on his front wing into the rear tire of Hamilton. Hamilton gets a puncture and uh, ends up uh, all the way at the back of the field, and that was basically his uh, his day done. And that was one of the situations, multiple comings uh, together. Austria, Spain. There's there, there's plenty of uh, of history between those two, and it really, really was pretty nasty. I mean, it actually got to the point where you know they they had to sit down with these guys behind closed doors. And uh, long story short, uh, Total Wolf uh, basically had to lay it down and say that you know if we have to terminate the contract of one or both of you, then we're going to have to do that. Obviously, I think that they probably, if uh, if it ever came to that, my suspicion is, and I don't th- think it should be any uh, real surprise here, if they had to go and tear up somebody's contract in front of their eyes and give them the boot out the back door, I think it probably would have happened to Nico Rosberg rather than Lewis Hamilton. 
because Lewis was Lewis. He'd already won a couple of championships, won a championship uh, for Mercedes at that point. And uh, well, I mean, Nico got his own championship in 2016, but the turbo hybrid era in Formula One, specifically Mercedes, has been the Lewis Hamilton story. I mean, he's been absolutely dominant over the years, and uh, he was the top dog in the team at that time, still, and still is the top dog in Formula One. I mean, six-time world champion, and uh, has won it basically every year for the past so many years, I can't even remember when he didn't win it last. Well, apart from 2016. <laughs> Anyways, you get uh, get the point that I'm making. But just to sort of parlay that now over to the Ferrari um, situation, whatever you want to call it, between uh, Vettel and uh, Charles Leclerc. And this was always going to be an interesting situation, in my opinion, because you have uh, Vettel, who obviously four-time world champion in his own right, had, uh, I mean, he had a good first half of 2018, let's put it that way. And uh, after things started to go wrong, uh, specifically, I'm thinking at the Italian Grand Prix last year, I mean, came back from the summer break, won impressively at Spa-Francorchamps, in my opinion. But after that, slowly but surely, things started to go wrong. The Italian Grand Prix, when he collided with Lewis Hamilton on the first lap, Singapore, and you know, came together with Max at a, a somewhat eventful Japanese Grand Prix, the U.S. Grand Prix. I mean, there's plenty of of, of things that uh, that happened to Sebastian Vettel that weren't good at the end of last year. Anyways, um, Kimi Raikkonen leaves the team. Charles Leclerc comes in. Obviously, Ferrari's history, they have not gone to a young driver, no matter how talented, very often in their, their whole entire history in, in Formula One. But for better or worse, they decided to take the plunge and uh, sign Charles Leclerc to a contract. And obviously, that's worked out. I mean, he, right from the, the, the very um, first opportunities that he had, uh, right uh, from the, the the Australian Grand Prix, where he obviously, I think, would have finished fourth at least in that race. Uh, he was quicker than Sebastian Vettel, but uh, team orders prevailed that day, and Charles was ordered to hold station behind his obviously slower teammate Sebastian Vettel, should have won in uh, Bahrain. Probably should have done a lot better than um, than he should or he did finish in in Baku, but obviously he had the crash in the in the qualifying that put him back in the down the grid to start the race. But you know there was it took a while for him to win his first race to get his first pole position, but. Over the course of the season, he's really established himself as not only a very good driver that de- deserves a, a top drive. I mean, he's uh, established himself uh, at Ferrari. I mean, that the conversation on whether or not he should be the the, the number one driver instead of uh, Vettel, obviously, I think that's a, a conversation that should be had. It's a legitimate uh, discussion, lo- a legitimate topic um, to, to have. But I mean, more than that, I mean, uh, in, in his first season at Ferrari, he's proven that that he's got what it takes. He obviously is a top Formula One driver. And I mean, even if you just go back to last year when he was driving at Selber Alfa Romeo alongside Marcus Ericsson, the difference between the two was was night and day what what Charles was able to do and what was obviously a very average Formula One car compared to Marcus Ericsson was night and day. I mean, they they were 
and I mean, I don't have the stats in front of me, but he was much, much better. He got much better results than him. He qualified better than, than Erickson, um, basically all season long. I don't re- recall off the top of my head, uh, one, uh, instance that he didn't is, uh, the, the way that he performed in all the races when he didn't have any trouble or any issues, uh, that obviously, uh, was something completely different, but, uh, certainly when, uh, when he was uh, going well, then he was better than uh, Erickson all year round. So, and we've seen that, I think, uh, to a certain extent uh, this year as well at uh, at Ferrari in his uh, first year. I mean, obviously, he's out-qualified Sebastian Vettel many, many times in the races, has won a couple, you know, couple of races himself. And, uh, I mean, the the one uh, real bad weekend for Charles was at Monaco's home Grand Prix, but that's a different side. I mean, he's really proven himself. Uh, it's not that... Uh, you know, he's uh, all hype. I mean, he's demonstrated, he's lived up to it, and uh, he's really backed it up in, in what he's done in the car, on the track, in the races, and in qualifying all season long. Anyways, we're going to talk a little bit more about that after the break, but I just wanted to give a shout out to our good friends at Vivid Seats uh, uh, once again this week. And because if you need tickets for anything, doesn't matter if NFL, NBA, NHL, Major League Baseball, college football, Formula One, hey, you can get uh, tickets on, through Vivid uh, Seats uh, for Formula One. Got one more chance uh, at Abu Dhabi. And then you got to wait till next year because the season's almost over. Anyways, Vivid Seats is the top source for tickets for the events that you want to go to. You can sort by price or look for seats in the section row of your choice, all in the Vivid Seats app. To make things even better, Vivid Seats now has a loyalty program that allows fans to earn credit back. And that is Vivid Seats Rewards. So go to the App Store or Google Play and download the Vivid Seats app. App, and fans are automatically enrolled into the Vivid Seats Reward Loyalty Program. Now, every purchase is backed by 100% buyer guarantee. From the biggest concerts and games to the hottest theater shows and more, Vivid Seats has it all. So download the app and join Vivid Seats Reward Loyalty Program today. And remember, when it is time to buy, when new users enter the promo code OVERTIME, really simple. That's promo code overtime at checkout. You can receive a discount of up to $100. So remember, new users at Vivid Seats on the app, download it, get in on it, enter the promo code overtime at checkout, and you can receive a discount of up to $100. Hey, sells itself. All right, well, let's go back to Charles Leclerc and Sebastian Vettel. And like I was saying uh, just uh, before the break there, that uh, Charles has really cemented his position in the team. And um, obviously, if you're Sebastian Vettel, you're going to want to fight back. But Charles has uh, just proven that he is just a phenomenally talented and quick driver. And uh, that's not to take anything away from uh, Sebastian Vettel. But I mean, it's not not as easy as it was with, uh, with Kimi Raikkonen because uh, Kimmy just was not able to push uh, Sebastian often or frequently enough over the uh, the, the, the several years that uh, they were uh, teammates at uh, at Ferrari. I mean, Sebastian was uh, just uh, quicker than him. He got uh, more wins than him, obviously. I mean, he was a contender in numerous seasons uh, in, in, in the World Championship. 2016 to a certain extent. Sorry, I mean, 2017 to a certain extent. Uh, last year, definitely he was a contender. I mean, he was leading the World Championship uh, for a, a good portion of the season there until the, the, the wheels started to fall off about two 
two thirds of the way through. Anyways, I mean, he was just naturally a little bit uh, quicker than uh, than Kimmy. But uh, you know, enter Charles Leclerc, the young hot rookie. Uh, you know, he has a, a great season uh, in, his, in his first year. Comes in into into Ferrari, and then you know he's got a challenge all of a sudden, and he really has to work at. I mean, he's had his moments. I mean, obviously for Seb, the the, the big frustrating. I think the one race that really underlines how frustrating his season has been. Uh, I, I would say Montreal. I'd say the Canadian Grand Prix because that was a race where he crossed the finish line first, but then it was taken away because he was given a, a, a time penalty for, uh, what, what do they call it now, um, re-entering the track dangerously or whatever it was. You know, at turn three where there's that little uh, flick to the right, uh, you know, he... he Went to breaking that car, the the rear end uh, walked on him a little bit, and he went through the grass, came back across, and uh, Lewis just uh, flying and looking to uh, to uh, seize the lead there has to hammer on the brakes. And you know, I mean, we've had that de- debate uh, before. I mean, you could see it uh, kind of. Let's just say there there was an argument to, to be had for the penalty and one uh, for uh, you know letting it go. So I mean, it was uh, just I think really I think as the uh, I think it's a it's a good way to describe how his, uh, how season's gone. I mean, he's had other incidents like the uh, the unfortunate uh, uh, trip off the, the the track he had at Monza, and then uh, collecting poor old Lance Stroll when he came back onto the track. There's been a lot of things like that, but after Italy, I think after Charles won in impressive uh, fashion, holding off uh, both uh, Mercedes uh, cars for a good portion of the race, that. Um, it was a bit of a renaissance for, for for Vettel, a little bit. I mean, he won in Singapore. He was a little bit lucky, but hey, you know, whatever. A win is a win. Doesn't really matter how you get it. I mean, the the, the point is that you cross the finish line first. I mean, I know that uh, Charles was a bit bitter about that. And um, the point is, I think that uh, that Ferrari have a real situation uh, on their hands that they have to be very careful in how the, they, they manage it uh, moving forward in, in, into in 2020. Uh, Leclerc, I don't think you want to hold the guy back. I don't want to. I don't think that you want to rein him in too much. I, I think that uh, this year, I think it was very much the, uh, the the situation. Charles is a young guy, only has one uh, year in Formula One under his belt. Sebastian's a four-time world champion, been at uh, Ferrari for a number of years. Obviously, I think from just that point alone, from the logic dictates that uh, Sebastian Vettel is the number one driver, but. As I said this year, I mean, it's uh, just looking at what uh, Charles Leclerc has done on the track over the course of an entire season. Uh, quicker than Sebastian, better in qualifying, more wins, and just an exciting driver to watch. I think you go into 2020, and I think it's uh, it's all up for grabs. I think, uh, if anything, uh, if you have to make a declaration, why not go with Charles Leclerc? I mean, uh, he's he's obviously the guy for the future and that's not to take away that anything from uh, Sebastian Vettel but his contract is up at the end of next year and honestly I see it I kind of find it hard to see Vettel staying with the Ferrari unless I don't know maybe he takes a pay cut I don't really know but uh, there, there's different ways that uh, I guess p- potentially uh, could uh, could play out I mean he's uh, reiterated at different times over the season that he wants to win a world championship with the Ferrari hey I want to win a world championship with a Ferrari, but hey, it's never going to happen because I'm not in Formula One. So, I'm winning a world championship with uh, with uh, with uh, 
any team in Formula One would be good from from my point of view. But uh, that's a completely different uh, story aside. But the point is, Charles Leclerc also wants to win uh, a world championship. And I think you have to sit down and really objectively look at the uh, at the situation. If you're Mattia Bonato, the uh, team principal, I think you have to really take all of that into account and, uh, and really come up with uh, a real solid plan to uh, to address that and actually uh, Bonato was saying that um, well what is he called silly between uh, Sebastian Vettel and uh, Charles Leclerc after their crash uh, last uh, weekend and uh, so uh, Bonato did say a couple of uh, things and he was uh, talking specifically about uh, basically the, the the war between Lewis Hamilton and, and Nico Rosberg and he said uh, quote I don't know what uh, Toto uh, did. I don't want to judge. I'm not interested as well. But certainly we need to clarify who's with the team, what is silly and what's not, what are the limits of the actions. But when you have a crash, something was wrong, no doubt. When you're free to fight, you're free to fight, and it's only a driving matter how much you can take a risk. But certainly... Here, the risk was not necessary. So obviously that is uh, Bonato referring to what happened in uh, in, in uh, Brazil. It looked like uh, they were obviously on for a, a good result there and uh, well, nullified uh, by the accident uh, that they had. And uh, he went on to say, quote, there's something always uh, you can do better, but certainly in Brazil, the mistake was the mistake of the drivers. What is a team? Could we have done better? Not in the heat of the moment. Uh, will Ferrari react? But we think certainly we need to improve that for the future and that's not going to happen anymore and uh, that is got to be one of those benchmark uh, moments uh, obviously and even uh, Ross Braun uh, at uh, Formula One uh, had to uh, weigh in and I mean uh, Braun was obviously a technical uh, director and team principal uh, before moving on to other things, starting his own team, going to Mercedes, taking a bit of uh, time away, and now is uh, the managing director at uh, Formula One. Uh, he had some interesting uh, things to say, and um, I think when uh, when a guy like Ross Braun uh, speaks up on an issue, I mean, he's not completely silent. He does weigh in from time to time, but I think uh, a guy that has the experience isn't accomplished in Formula One uh, what he did. I think that uh, you have to sit back and, and, and really look uh, objectively at uh, what a guy like Ross has to say. And um, he uh, he had some interesting uh, things to say on that and uh, specifically, uh, quote, I wouldn't want to venture an opinion what is, on who was most at fault for the collision, but in the cold light of day, maybe it would be good if one of them would follow Hamilton's example and immediately a bit culpability as the champion did regarding his clash with Albon. If Ferrari really wants to put an end to Mercedes' dominance, not only does it need to provide its driver with a more competitive car next year, it must also ensure that incidents like this one are not repeated. Formula One is a team sport, especially so at Maranello. So that, I think that's uh, really interesting. And uh, when, when I saw this one, I was like, well, how do they, what does he mean they have to be more like uh, or, or follow Hamilton's uh, example? But I, I think that, um, you know, obviously you never want to admit you're wrong. And I understand at at, the, at that level, the elite level that these guys are at, that, that ego plays a lot uh, a lot of it. And guys don't want to really want to, uh, to admit uh, you know, that they were wrong, that uh, that it was their fault. But, you know, you got to give kudos uh, to Lewis Hamilton. I mean, he got kind of caught in the thick of it there after the safety car, and he just uh, got it wrong and locked up and uh, took out uh, poor old uh, Alex Albon, who, um, you know, I might add, has uh, really uh, shown what uh, what he can do and uh, deserves uh, his spot there to fight among the big boys. But uh, that's uh, that's a different story. 
Anyways, uh, Lewis knew right away that uh, what, what he'd done. He admitted uh, you know, that it was all his fault and was expecting a penalty to come down. And I think that's just a sign of um, not only being a good sport, I think it's a sign of a responsibility, obviously, and also a good sportsmanship. And I can understand why uh, maybe Charles or, or Sebastian would not want to admit it, but sometimes, you know, you just got to eat a little bit of a uh, humble pie and just uh, take uh, the, the higher road. But uh, again, I thought it was uh, interesting, uh, Matteo Bonato uh, talking about it after the race. And uh, he said, quote, it's not a matter of uh, finding them or who we blame. I think that uh, today we were free to fight. They knew that. The reason for that is we secured second place in the Constructors' Championship and they were battling for their own position, the Drivers' Championship. But free to fight doesn't mean to do silly actions, especially between two teammates, between two Ferraris. For me today was simply a silly action. Well, <laughs> you know, that uh, Bedato is uh, free to say that, but, you know, I think a lot of us uh, would have uh, used words a little bit stronger than uh, than, than silly. But it is uh, also interesting uh, when, when you uh, hear Bonato talking a little bit uh, further and... Uh, I've I've made the uh, the the, the comparison uh, between uh, Leclerc and uh, and Vettel and Hamilton and Rosberg. Ross ba- Braun mentioned it in that uh, that one interview that uh, he gave or he gave a little bit uh, earlier, and rightly so. That's uh, just the the, the way that uh, people uh, are are going to to make that because I mean it is the most uh, recent example. I mean we can go back as far as uh, as Senna and Prost. I mean uh, if you are as old as I am, I mean I've. Fortunately, I was a kid uh, back in the days of uh, Senna and Prost, but that was about as bad as it got, too. Um, was it as bad as Hamilton and uh, and Rosberg? Probably. Probably a little bit worse. Uh, but again, you know, you're, you're comparing uh, two pairs of drivers from two different uh, eras in Formula One. But the one thing that I, I think never really changes is the mentality of these uh, guys that uh, that go out there and, uh, and race all the time. And uh, so... They they all want to win, but I particularly remember Senna and Prost being um, a particularly nasty rivalry. I mean, the, I guess the one culminating moment, uh, the famous moment, is when they came together at uh, Suzuka at the Japanese Grand Prix all those uh, years ago. Anyways, uh, Bonato uh, did uh, go on to say, and uh, he said, uh, despite that, uh, some of the things that have happened uh, between uh, Vettel and uh, and Leclerc this year, that uh, he insists that. Uh, that they get on a lot better than uh, people uh, may think. And, and obviously we're all looking at it uh, from the outside, the majority of us. Uh, and that's just <laughs> obvious. Uh, Bonato uh, went on to say, quote, I think what I may read or hear is quite different compared to what I may see internally. It is true that in Monza, it has not been an easy situation to manage. They had to clarify. They spoke together face-to-face openly. The same happened after Russia. Currently, they've got a good relationship and they're going well together. Certainly what uh, happened today may not help, but I don't think there is a drama at all. I see that more as an opportunity in view of next year to clarify if needed. And I, I think... Honestly, I think that's a good way to like to um, to deal with it. Do what you need to do behind closed doors, but uh, out in the media, out uh, when speaking to to the rest of the world, to the rest of us, to the fans, the media, whoever, and obviously their competitors and rivals as well. Just play it cool. 
don't get uh, too excited about it and just uh, you know be a little bit uh, nonchalant but behind uh, closed doors decide what you need to do and then just uh, you know be firm on it uh, just say this uh, whatever this the situation or the resolution is to that just be firm in it stick with it and then uh, that's uh, that's how you move forward and that's uh, how you deal with it uh, for well after this uh, this watershed this benchmark moment but you know interesting uh, nonetheless and I think finally <laughs> we can get away from the uh, Vettel and uh, a Leclerc drama and le- let's talk now about Ferrari why not let's talk about them a little bit more and uh, they're saying now for the uh, for the first time that they're almost matching Red Bull in uh, in corners uh, for the first time so they they reduced uh, their straight line speed at the Brazilian Grand Prix was down to an aerodynamic uh, configuration that meant it almost matched uh, their rival Red Bull in uh, in the corners around the track so they had six consecutive pole positions since the the summer break and now they've gone two races without a pole and they were well they were notably slower in quality qualifying on the on the straights and uh and then also in the race um uh, at, at at brazil compared to uh, to practice and you know that's obviously can come down to things like engine modes and things like that and of course that uh that you know <laughs> brings up a discussion which we're going to get into about the whole speculation suggestion that uh, that they were doing you know questionable things and trying to circumvent the rules with the uh, with their with their engines and uh you know that's uh you know uh, that's been a topic of uh, discussion for a long, long time. But it is the the timing is interesting. But the uh, the SF ninety has just not been. I think, uh, well, I, I don't think that I know it. It just hasn't lived up to to the expectations that we had uh, way back in winter testing when it looked like they were just uh, so much uh, better and faster than uh, than everyone else. But when it came to to reality and to race situations. It was a, a far different, uh, 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 you know, situation, and you know the the reduction in the straight line speed. You know, like for, for those that uh, believe that something is funny is going on, was that uh, you know that they, they were circumventing the rules about the potential oil burns and fuel flow exploitations and things like that. But they've been uh, been adamant uh, about it uh, for for quite some time now that that is uh, not the not the case, and they they are insistent that they have not. Changed Changed uh, anything on their uh, their engine since uh, the FIA came out uh, with um, a technical directive a couple of weeks ago regarding fuel flow rules and the use of liquids uh, for combustion, and that is just it's almost if anything is kind of really fanned those. Uh, <clears throat> Because those discussions and those rumors, they just haven't gone away. But uh, Mentio Bonato, he had to, to clarify that. And he said in an interview with us, quote, No, we didn't change nothing. What we did is read it carefully to the TDs because you need to meet up with whatever is new uh, technical directive. It is important to, to understand it. But we didn't change our operations, our way of using the engines, and that is since the start of the season. We still have got an advantage on the straights. I think we know that since the start of the season that we are lacking downforce and maybe our car is somehow more fast on the straights. Since the very first... Since the very start of F1, if you drop your downforce, you get some more speed on the straights, but you reduce your speed in the cornering. And our car is not as good as others in cornering. 
So th- that is an interesting uh, clarification. Obviously, that's, you know, after, you know, <laughs> almost two dozen races, I mean, we're what, race 21 next week, that uh, that they, they are still tinkering with the different settings on the car. And just that that whole problem in question of uh, downforce has uh, literally uh, plagued them right from the, the, the very start of the season. I mean, we, we've seen uh, at times where it's worked uh, better for them, but that's been more in the second half of the season, first half of the season. They were they were a step uh, behind uh, anyone uh, or everyone else. But it it really is, uh, I think, an interesting case study to see just how much uh, difference that uh, that you can make uh, to a car just by tinkering around with uh, some of the the, the different uh, settings. And we're going to talk a little bit more after we uh, take a short break here on the Overtime Media Network. So don't go away. We'll be back in just a moment. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, uh, welcome back to the show. And just uh, picking up on that uh, that topic we were talking about just uh, before the break, and that was just about uh, the le- legality of uh, fuel flow and oil burns and uh, things like that. And uh, anyways, uh, Formula One has uh, decided that uh, they are going to implement uh, the uh, another additional fuel flow uh, sensor uh, for, for 2020. And this is in wake of the uh, the whole uh, directive and uh, clarification that they gave on the uh, you know fuel flow and oil burns burning and things like that. So uh, they did uh, do uh, an investigation of fuel, fuel systems after the Brazilian Grand Prix on one is which is commonly believed to, to be from a Ferrari. The, uh, the other was a fuel system from a Ferrari customer team and uh, a third fuel system from a non-Ferrari powered car. Anyways, uh, on Wednesday uh, this week, uh, the FIA uh, laid, uh, issued another technical uh, directive, which was a third in less than a month, instructing teams that next year they will be able or they'll be required to add a second FIA controlled uh, sensor in 2020. So what isn't really known if this was not a res- uh, response to the checks that they uh, did after the, uh, the, the race in Brazil, but uh, the new sensor will uh, it will help them to police engine rules uh, next year. So 
it uh, it just really isn't uh, going away this uh, whole discussion so it like like i say it is fascinating to see that ferrari is saying on on one hand and i mean they've been insistent about it uh, for th- this whole time that there's been this uh, big uh, discussion uh, while countering all the uh, the speculation and uh, outright uh, accusations from people like uh, max verstappen that they haven't uh, done anything but uh, james allison uh, from uh, mercedes uh, had uh, also uh, weighed in on, on on that as well and um and he had to say quote i think uh, they were still pretty useful on the straights but not quite as marked as it was friday and that was a uh, practice uh this could be all sorts of things we run different power modes on a friday probably the only thing you could stand back from a distance and say is that it's two races on the trot where it hasn't been pole position for ferrari and they sort of had reasonably comfortable margin so it's an interesting thing but you could not uh, draw any solid conclusions from there's still a quick uh, car on the straights so let's just see how they are in the race tomorrow and how they are in the races to come and that's a that's a similar statement uh, that james allison made uh, to uh tanabe the uh, the, uh, the 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 uh, the big boss at uh, Honda had made similar comments uh, a couple of weeks ago, but I, I do think it's interesting. While he says it's uh, interesting, uh, just uh, you know the situation that uh, Ferrari is still in, that uh, he is uh, still acknowledging their uh, the advantage in the straight line uh, speed that they have, even though that uh, you know they've been slightly slower, and uh, it's a situation that they're they're monitoring uh, you know somewhat uh, closely. Uh, well, I, I think everybody is, but uh, fascinating to hear somebody else's uh, input on it, uh, especially when it's uh, somebody with the uh you know the stature of um you know technical director of uh, racing or sorry technical director at uh, mercedes uh, james allison anyways uh, sticking with him it was his first time on the pit uh, role as uh, the the leader the uh at uh, at uh, at uh, mercedes in wake of uh, total wolf and taking a race's absence and it was the first time that uh, total was not at a grand prix on the pit wall or in the gra- garage for well, a number of years since uh, 2013. Anyways, he stayed behind uh, to, uh, to to concentrate on other things now that uh, both championships uh, for the drivers and constructors world championships uh, were uh, um, uh, were sewn up. Anyways, uh, it was a bit of a tough uh, debut for, uh, for Allison. Uh, anyways, I mean, <laughs> Lewis finished uh, seventh. Valtteri Bottas retired with an engine failure. And it was obviously one of their worst races of the season. I don't know. I mean... Obviously, I think the uh, the the German Grand Prix uh, rates up there. I mean, uh, Bottas crashed out, so did Lewis. But I mean, that was more down to the uh, the conditions. I mean, it was a torrential uh, downpour at Hockenheim that that day. I mean, it was uh, it was good conditions uh, to race at Interlagos uh, last weekend. Uh, there there there's no doubt about it. Uh, so to to see things like a Mercedes having a mechanical issue, I mean, it rarely happens, and uh, I. I don't have the statistics in front of me and but I mean just off the top of my head the last time that I remember a Mercedes engine uh failing and correct me if I'm wrong uh was uh Lewis Hamilton a Malaysian Grand Prix in 2016 and that was I wouldn't say that's when it really ended his uh, challenge for the world championship uh, that year but uh, it gave uh, Nico Rosberg a bit of breathing room and he just kind of coasted from there and and Hamilton did close the gap and then of course it came down to that uh, season finale in um, in uh, in Abu Dhabi uh, in in 2016. Anyways, the point is whether it was 2016 or not, it just does not happen very often. I mean, uh, to use the phrase that a, a Mercedes mechanical failure happens about as often as once in a blue moon is uh, well. 
not a very current thing or a common thing. I mean, uh, there there was oh, I just uh, another one that's come to mind is uh, the Austrian Grand Prix last year where they had a double DNF, which was the the first time since the 1950s, I believe. And it, it was just, it was a, a rough, rough uh, race that uh, that they had. I mean, when have we ever seen Lewis Hamilton uh, have a moment like he had with uh, Alexander Albon? I mean, again, it just does not happen. I mean, uh, we, we've seen plenty of incidents with uh, Sebastian Vettel getting mixed up uh, and in situations uh, with other guys like that. But uh, for Lewis, I mean, that is just almost uh, in a a completely unheard of uh, situation. So it, it was a it was a tough uh, race for them. Fortunately, if uh, you're looking at uh, at it from the the, the point of view from uh, from Mercedes, it really isn't a race that uh, they needed to win. Obviously, they, I think they would uh, would like to. I mean, but again, both uh, the the drivers and constructors uh, championships uh, were uh, were sewn up uh, weeks and in some cases months ago. I mean the the actual crossing that mathematical line when uh, when it was a, a you know a, a certainty a fact that it, it was uh, now official that was just uh, that was a confirming moment. I mean they were both uh, decided really months ago back in the, in, the, in the summer because I mean they just had uh, such a good start to the to the season and Red Bull and uh, Ferrari just weren't weren't able to offer up a, a stronger uh, challenge uh, more often anyway so just uh, talking uh, more about uh, the uh, how wrong things uh, went for them uh, last weekend was that they uh, they they came out uh, later and said that uh, you know <laughs> giving uh, Hamilton the option uh, or offering them uh, him a, a late pit, a pit stop was just plain dumb. And, uh, you know, James Allison, uh, he went on to say that, well, he did say it was dumb. He also said it was a, a rookie error, but uh, it was just, uh, it was just, wasn't what we've come to, uh, to uh, really expect from them. I mean, they're, they're usually spot on when it comes to the tactics. I mean, they've made some, uh, some really gutsy calls and decisions, uh, in, in several recent races and, and this year, but, uh, it, it was, uh, <laughs> funny, you know, just to kind of like hear the radio calls. I mean, you had, uh, Lewis's, uh, engineer, Pete, uh, Bonington, uh, saying uh, a couple times on the radio, uh, you know, if he wanted, uh, you know, fresh tires and, you know, cause he was going to lose a place. And then the Hamilton came back and he said, quote, you make the decision. And then uh, that uh, that was followed up uh, by uh, "I'll come in, I'll come in," just as he reached the the, the pit entry. But it was kind of, uh, you know, it wasn't well played. It was uh, not uh, it was not peak Mercedes. Uh, let's uh, put it that way. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending. Determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Anyways, like I said, uh, we, we talked a little bit more earlier about this, uh, just about uh, Hamilton uh, taking uh, responsibility uh, for the, uh, or owning the, the, the incident that he had uh, that uh, took out uh, Alex Albon and uh, he decided after the race that uh, he was not going to uh, defend himself in front of the stewards and just uh, accept his punishment and uh, like I say I think that was uh, a classy and uh, and a very sporting move uh, move from Lewis he knew he was wrong and uh, he was just uh, prepared to sit back and uh, take uh, accept uh, the, the punishment 
And just uh, sticking uh, now with uh, Lewis Hamilton just for a couple more moments, he says he's not looking forward to another stressful moment of contract uh, talks with Mercedes next year as uh, he's looking uh, towards what his next move in Formula One is going to be. So his contract runs out at the end of uh, 2020. And it just has to be, I think, a logical conclusion that uh, he will... Re- re-sign with Mercedes. I mean, could you really see him going anywhere else? I mean, I really can't. Uh, I mean, I've seen some pictures online where people have kind of photoshopped Lewis in a Ferrari driver's overall. I mean, I mean, I guess you could say that, but I mean, at this point, I mean, I just really associate Lewis Hamilton with, uh, with Mercedes. I mean, of course, uh, before he came uh, to Mercedes way back, uh, you know, a number of years ago, he uh, started uh, his uh, his career in Formula One with uh, with uh, with McLaren, powered by Mercedes at that time. And I think his relationship with uh, Mercedes goes way back into his early teenage years. So, I mean, that's a little bit different. I mean, most of us know Lewis uh, from from Formula One. And uh, I, I think that what he's done and what he's achieved with them, I mean, five world championships uh, with Mercedes. I mean, that is just, it's Michael Schumacher-like. Uh, I mean, let, let's just uh, put it that way. I mean, all the championships uh, he won at uh, Ferrari and uh, and Lewis. Just like I, I associate Ferrari and Michael Schumacher as uh, being, you know, they, they just go together. I see Lewis Hamilton uh, and Mercedes in, uh, in very much the same uh, light. But uh, Lewis had to sit uh, this to say, quote, only just did this contract and already I have to start talking about uh, potentially the next one, which is frustrating because of another stressful moment where if you get into the room, get into the ring and have a friendly yet intense conversation about the terms and all of this kind of thing. But I'm used to it and I like to think that I'm a relatively good negotiator. Well, we'll wait and see. I would be surprised if they couldn't come together. I mean, uh, I think it, it just seems logical or... Uh, I think obvious at this point that uh, they're going to drive a, a dump truck load of money up to Lewis's front door. I mean, he, he's earned it. I mean, he's obviously worth it. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what, if and what uh, sort of number that uh, that they can uh, come together on it. Uh, like I say, I feel like it's, uh, I wouldn't say a formality, but uh, it just seems like it will be a deal that uh, that'll get uh, get done. I mean, Lewis seems like uh, he's keen to stay in Formula One. Seems like he's keen to sample the new regulations and the new uh, the the new look to Formula One, if you want to call it that, in uh, in 2021. And obviously, I think if uh, Mercedes keeps uh, delivering on the cars and 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 doing all the things that uh, that we've seen them do over the past uh, number of years. Uh, you'd have to think that uh, if you have a car and a team like that at uh, I would say at uh, at your disposable or disposal, but certainly if you have the opportunity to climb back in that car and win races and, and world championships, then uh, you know you'd have to think that that'd be really really attractive. But I guess the the only question is is how much is uh, is good enough for Lewis Hamilton? How much is uh, you know? Wh- when does he decide that uh, that he's done everything that he needs uh, to do in Formula One, and when he needs to to finally just get up and walk away and uh, and 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 go on to what he wants to do next? And uh, certainly, I think he he's deserved and he's earned that right to uh, to, to 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 walk away on his uh, his own terms. But he said even just a couple of weeks ago that uh, Formula One is a uh, an unfinished masterpiece or something like that, and. And uh, certainly I, I think we'll see, my, my feeling is, like I say, I think that we'll see Lewis Hamilton in Formula One for a, a couple of years yet. 
Okay, well, we've talked about Ferrari at length. We've talked about uh, Mercedes for not quite uh, as long, but uh, let's talk about them. Well, let's talk about not them again. Let's uh, move on down the line. Let's talk about uh, Red Bull, the whole red extended Red Bull family uh, for a, a little bit. And let's talk now about uh, Pierre Gasly because this is a, I think it's a good moment. Uh, the guy had a very tough year uh, starting out at, uh, at Red Bull. And then being uh, demoted, if you want to call it that, swapping with Alex Albon, Albon going up uh, to, uh, to Red Bull, Gasly going back to Toro Rosso, where he was last year. And uh, But uh, Gasly, in, in all the chaos and all the mayhem at the end of the Brazilian Grand Prix in those final stages, comes home, crosses the finish line in second behind uh, Max Verstappen, his former Red Bull teammates. And uh, I think it's a, it's a great uh, story. I mean, like I say, it was uh, really, really... Uh, uh, difficult uh, start to the year for him. I mean, he just, it, I, I wouldn't even uh, say that it was difficult uh, once the, the lights went green in uh, in Melbourne. It was it was difficult even back in uh, in winter testing. Gasly crashed it, uh, crashed the car, and that really limited uh, the, the time and the spare parts that they had, and they just weren't able to, to uh, achieve uh, or get as much track time. And, you know, they were, just didn't have their, everything at their disposal they needed to do. Anyways, it put a real... Uh, crimp in what what the, what they needed to uh, achieve and uh, it, uh, it it was tough. I mean, you could tell that he he was really struggling. He wasn't uh, delivering points as 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 much or as often as uh, you would expect from uh, you know the the guy in the second Red Bull car. I mean, Max Verstappen and Danny Ricciardo over the past couple of years prior to this year had really racked up a, a lot of points together. They were a good pairing and uh, and both of them uh, were, were uh, good for winning a, a couple of races every year uh, and and uh, always get uh, you know a number of podiums uh, along with that. And uh, and it, it is interesting now because uh, the 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 big boss at uh, Red Bull Motorsport and that's Helmut Marco, uh, he uh, feels that uh, Pierre Gasly would not have recovered or, or gotten out of that uh, that funk that he was in in uh if, if he had stayed at red bull and uh it uh it, w- it was really beneficial for him to go back uh, to to toro rosso and i think it is an interesting situation i mean gasly is obviously still a young driver but toro rosso is one of these development teams right and i mean it's usually a stepping stone for their junior drivers to get into formula one and with the, the the long term uh or medium term i should say uh goal of getting them into into the big team into red bull itself and uh from there obviously you have a, an opportunity to uh to win races get on the podium and and obviously ultimately win a world championship if uh you know they they can get the car and the engine to uh to to really put them in that uh position so my question is Seeing what uh, what what Pierre Gasly has done since his uh, return to Toro Rosso, which is he's been very good, he's been consistent. Uh, obviously, in a Toro Rosso, he's not going to be up on uh, podiums or in that top, say, five or six cars on a regular basis. I mean, occasionally. I mean, they've they've had their moments uh, from time to time this year. Don't get me wrong. But long term, is is he going to stick there? I mean, like I say, it's more of a development team, and and Alex Albon, who took his uh, spot at, at Red Bull, has been more consistent and has uh, scored a number of points uh, in, in in the time that he's been with the big team since that uh, that mid season switch. And if he continues to to uh, deliver and uh, and and do what he's done next year, obviously because he's going to going to be retained with the team next year. 
is there going to be an opportunity for Gasly to go back there in, in the in the future, or is it just sort of uh, going to be one of these situations where he sticks around with uh, with uh, Toro Rosso uh, for a little while, and then maybe at some point it's going to be no more room for him because uh, the the next uh, you know product of uh, the the Red Bull system will be ready to move up into Formula One, and they'll need a seat to need a seat for him. But they did have some issues, obviously, with uh, drivers and super points or super license points, and that was a, a big reason uh, for Danny Kvyat coming back because he kind of worked his way up uh, all the way from Toro Rosso to Red Bull and then all the way back down and then out of uh, uh, out of a car and because uh, he was a uh, what a res- reserve or, or simulator driver to the Ferrari last year, and then. Uh, just uh, due to the fact that they didn't have enough uh, qualified drivers to get into that Toro Rosso, Kvyat uh, finds himself uh, back in the team, back in Formula One this year. I mean, he's had uh, had his moments. Uh, I think that uh, that Kvyat's looked uh, more mature, a lot more uh, predictable, and just uh, dependable rather than the uh, the torpedo of uh, of old. But uh, yeah, interesting uh, to see. But I don't want to take anything away from Gasly because I think uh, it was a, a, res- a result that was uh, well-deserved. And even uh, Max Verstappen, uh, he had uh, to say that uh, it was... Uh, uh, it was awesome. It were incredible. I think was a word that uh, that uh, that he used, and uh, Hamilton uh, had to to say uh, that it was really awesome uh, to see. So nice to see him getting some uh, some kudos and uh, and some praise from uh, from his uh, fellow drivers. And uh, he had uh, or Gasly himself had to say that uh, what he called an insane podium was quote uh, the the best day of uh, of his life. And it, it, honestly, it, it is it it's good to see. It was one of those feel good stories. And that, that is, I think, part of the problem when you have um, basically the, the top spots almost uh, automatically and exclusively locked out by Mercedes, Ferrari, and Red Bull each and every weekend. When you have one of these races that's that's turned upside down onto its head because of rain or because of, uh, you know, situations uh, that, that we had in Brazil with uh, multiple safety cars right at the end of the race there, it, it, does, it does bring situations like that up. And uh, it, it really, I think it makes it, fun i think it makes it a, a, a better i think it's more enjoyable when you see these guys that usually don't have a shot to get on the podium i think it just uh it makes a nice change from the from the status quo anyways um red bull uh, did go on to say that uh, that alex albon should quote hold his head high uh, despite uh you know the opportunity of uh, getting on the podium for the first time when he was uh <laughs> punted off the track uh, rather unceremoniously ungraciously by lewis hamilton and uh again that's uh, motor racing for you. Sometimes it uh, can be a bit of a full sport in, in that way. I mean, he, he looked like uh, he was on pace and really only had a couple more laps really to go before that race was going to be over. So uh, certainly very, very disappointing for, for Alex Albon. And very much like uh, Charles Leclerc getting his uh, maiden win this year, I think for, for Albon that it's just going to be a question of time before he gets uh, his first podium. And I honestly, I, I can see him being a, a regular up there. I think that he uh, he has shown that uh, that he deserves, uh, that he's earned his right to, to be at uh, Red Bull. And I, I think that uh, he's rewarded and, and paid back the, the, the faith that, uh, that the brass have put in him um, over these uh, past, uh, you know, 
several races since uh, joining them after the summer break. Anyway, so sort of a parallel topic now. Uh, Danny Ricardo said that he's not bitter over the, uh, quote, impressive Red Bull Honda surge uh, this uh, season. And uh, he says that he feels happy rather than bitter over the uh, the, the form of Red Bull in uh, Brazil after uh, his uh, former teammate Max Verstappen took another pole position, then another win. But you have to think that uh, even though he's coming out and I mean, he's saying the right thing publicly, right? But you just have to wonder, though, compared to, um, you know, what's happened uh, for for Red Bull, they, they have not gone backwards in their first year with Honda Power compared to when they uh, had uh, Renault Power over the past uh, couple of, uh, well, number of years. But uh, definitely they haven't regressed uh, since uh, since last year. And arguably, I think uh, they're, they're marginally ahead of where they were with, uh, with Renault Power. So I still have to question the... Uh, the wisdom in, uh, or maybe not the wisdom, but the the decision of uh, Ricardo to go from Red Bull to, uh, to to Renault, I can understand it because obviously I think that uh, Red Bull is uh, is Max Verstappen's team. Regardless if they came out and said that uh, you know Max is our number one compared to to Danny Ricardo, I think it's just it just seems that way. I mean, it's a like when you see how teams just uh, fit certain guys that. I mean, we all know that uh, Mercedes is Lewis Hamilton's team, right? I mean, I think that's uh, pretty obvious uh, and logical to say. Ferrari, uh, I think that's a big uh, questionable at, uh, at the debatable uh, right now, what we've seen uh, this year. But Red Bull is uh, is Max Verstappen's team. And obviously, I think that uh, Danny Ricardo felt well, one way or another that uh, regardless how long he stayed there, that uh, I guess to some extent, he may uh, be a... Uh, in, in Max's shadow or, or maybe take uh, have to play second fiddle to Max and uh, I guess he wasn't prepared to do that and I guess uh, perhaps uh, he saw the opportunity to go to Renault a works team with uh, with uh, with resources and uh, and a history of um, doing good things in in Formula One and winning is both a, a works team and also as an engine supplier I can see the uh, the attractiveness in in wanting to do that and and go to a team like that. Unfortunately, Renault just hasn't been able to get over that hump. The the, the car this year they're just not as good as last year, and uh, where they've uh, where they've failed a little bit, uh, the you know McLaren has uh, been able to to pull in and slide into that position. And as I was talking about it out at the at the top of the show, I mean they are um, they have been obviously had a very good year and they've been much better than Renault. So that, uh, I, like I say, I think that Ricardo, even though he might say publicly, he's not bitter about that. You still have to wonder in, in the back of his mind, whether or not that plays on his mind, whether or not that, that was the right decision to do. Anyways, no, no changing it now. Their, their, their lineups are set, obviously. And I, I think that, uh, for better or worse, uh, Danny Ricardo is where he is, but just talking about, uh, McLaren again, uh, Sainz, Carlos Sainz says that uh, he's relishing the, the, the McLaren, uh, McLaren continuity after what he called uh, was a weird end at, at Renault last season. But uh, I think that the, the pairing that they have at McLaren the, this year of uh, Lando Norris and uh, Carlos Sainz, even though they're 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 both um, you know the young guys in uh, Lando first year in Formula One, I think that they've uh, they've done well and and Carlos Sainz. I mean, to me, it was uh, it was an interesting choice. I mean, he was a, a, a red, uh, sorry, a Toro Rosso driver for for a while, and then uh, was and that whole switch with the the engines and Hondas and everything like that uh, was uh, then loaned over to uh, to Renault last year, and then uh, it, it was like I say, it was a bit. Uh, 
is a bit a uh, bit strange situation, but you know I, I think that uh, the the the, uh, the switch to McLaren from from Red, uh, Red Bull, sorry Toro Rosso and uh, and and Renault has uh, has worked out for for Carlos Sainz. I don't know, like uh, really <clears throat> how good he is. I mean, he he's doing very well at, uh, at McLaren this year. I think he's a very handy driver, but again, it's a little bit, at least from my point of view, a little bit uh, difficult to call to make. You know, is he good enough to win races? Is he good enough to in in that regard when uh, when he's driving a car? Although that I don't want to take anything McLaren away from McLaren because the car this year is a lot better than it was last year and uh, the the last number of years, but. I don't know. I think for me, the jury is still out on uh, on Carlos Sainz, but still, I think uh, what uh, what he's done and Lando Norris have done, uh, I think they d- deserve uh, applause because it looks like um, that they are on spot uh, to uh, to uh, win fourth or take fourth in the uh, the, the constructors uh, championship after the uh, the season is all said and done, despite maybe a, a little bit of a protest uh, from uh, Toro Rosso, but uh, they'll have to snatch the snatch it away from them with a good number of points at the final race in Abu Dhabi next week. Anyways, uh, just sticking with Sainz, uh, he says he has no doubts that his charge from the back of the grid to take his uh, first podium finish in, uh, in Formula One was the best race of his life. Uh, yeah, it's, it's just a shame in a way that uh, the stewards uh, took so long to make the ruling on, uh, on Lewis Hamilton and uh, he wasn't able to actually get up on the podium and celebrate with, uh, with Gasly and Verstappen, but still. P3 is P3, he gets a trophy for it, and uh, certainly I, I think it was a, a great result uh, for him as well. I mean, uh, uh, it is good to be talking about uh, McLaren in a positive light, and uh, certainly um, science was a, a performance in Brazil was another good moment and a good season uh, for the team. Now let's just uh, talk about a couple more things as we start to, to slow it down and, and slowly close it out. I mean, we're, we're already over an hour here, but like I say, there was a lot of t- to talk about this uh, this year. So the Miami Grand Prix or potential Miami Grand Prix is uh, bought three to six months as the, the mayor's veto is upheld. And uh, that uh, is a major uh, speed bump uh, that uh, that was overcome when uh, the Miami-Dade Board of County Commissioners backed the mayor's uh, veto of the original decision to prohibit the use of public roads uh, for a race. So he, uh, and this is uh, Mayor Carlos A. Jimenez, uh, stressed the, uh, instead of killing his idea outright, uh, the uh, the authorities at uh, Miami-Dade take time to, to work towards a solution and has uh, bought the, the race three to six months uh, to get a deal agreed. So it uh, it isn't quite dead, but it's not certain that it's going ahead. And uh, honestly, I'd like to see the race uh, take place there anytime uh, we can get another race here in America and North uh, and and just I think it's a good thing, right? I mean, a lot of uh, us uh, in, in North America have grown up watching Formula One on TV, and. Honestly, Miami is about as far as you can get in North America from my home here in Vancouver. But still, when when it's almost on home soil, it just has a bit of a different feel to it. You know, you you look at it, you see all the same, you see all the same things there, except maybe the palm trees, which we don't have here that they have in South Florida. But hey, I mean, everything else apart from that looks really, really familiar, and it, it it's it's just cool to see. And I think it's crucial. For Formula One to have more races in uh, in uh, in America and in the continent in general, 
Obviously, I think that uh, one Canadian Grand Prix is more than enough, but two races in the USA, I think, is extremely feasible, and I think it's uh, important uh, to the continued growth of uh, Formula One here in the in the future. Anyways, just uh, looking ahead to the Dutch Grand Prix next year, apparently the banking in the final uh, corner at Sunford is going to be very similar to an American oval track with the uh, the final corner being twice as steep as the uh, the, the turns at uh, at Indianapolis. So that's going to be uh, really, really cool. So it's going to be uh, angled at 32%, which is the equivalent of uh, 18 uh, degrees. And uh, that is uh, it's, it's similar to uh, Indianapolis, which hosted the, uh, the U.S. Grand Prix between 2000 and 2007. They ran on a portion of the oval and then uh, an infield uh, track. I mean, it was all right. Uh, I mean, it was kind of cool to see Formula One cars uh, running on a portion of Indy. But again, when I think of Indy, I think of the Oval. And while it was cool to see them on the, a portion of the Oval, the infield track really didn't uh, do a lot for me. And I think a, a purpose-built uh, track like the Circuit of Americas, I think, is a is a much uh, better thing. And uh, so it, it'll be interesting to see what happens with uh, Miami, of course. But uh, anyways, just getting back uh, to Sanford, it is uh, it is kind of cool. They're they're going to be putting the uh, the the banking in at uh, Sanford, and it'll be uh, really cool to see uh, you know the cars racing around there next year. So just a, a couple more things uh, here, Alex. Or sorry, not uh, Alex uh, Albon, but uh, Esteban Ocon is uh, going to get in the cockpit for for Renault uh, for the first uh, postseason test at Abu Dhabi after the. The, the Grand Prix there, and he's going to be uh, joining the, the the team on December second, which is the the, the day after the, the the Grand Prix, and he's going to take part in the 2020 Pirelli tire test. So that uh, of course uh, he's out, or sorry, he's in at Renault next year, and uh, Nico Hulkenberg is out. And uh, just uh, before we just talk about uh, Nico Hulkenberg, um, the FIA has just admitted that the uh, the 2020 tire choice process uh, has not been uh, perfect. And uh, so we'll wait and see what happens with that. Uh, the, uh, the the tires that they they tested with the 2020 specs uh, at Austin uh, didn't go over very well, and that uh, the teams uh, has agreed uh, with the FIA that the the planned 2020 tire test in Abu Dhabi should go ahead, so more more data can be gathered. And if um, they're still dissenting and negative views after that, a vote will be undertaken as to uh, what is going to happen. Anyway, just uh, finally now finishing uh, with uh, Nico Hulkenberg. Uh, the Hulk is uh, out of Formula One, but uh, he says that the, despite he doesn't have an opportunity uh, to race or seat to race in Formula One in, uh, in 2020, he says that uh, he will be ready for any opportunity that, that may arise, even though there, there's nothing uh, nothing concrete uh, at the moment. He was uh, most recently linked uh, to race in IndyCar next uh, year with Ed Carpenter Racing, but uh, you know, team boss Ed Carpenter himself said earlier this week that uh, that was going to, to happen uh, in Formula One. It looked like uh, Giovinazzi uh, might be leaving Alfa Romeo, but they decided to extend him. And that was basically the last sliver of a hope uh, that Hulkenberg had uh, to stay in Formula One. Uh, he straight up said that he was uh, not going to uh, return to Williams, which is a team they raced for in the past. And uh, they're looking that uh, it's looking as though that uh, Nicholas Latifi, my fellow Canadian, uh, who's a, a, for, a front runner in Formula Two and is a junior driver for Williams, is uh, already uh, practiced uh, for them uh, this year or, or driven a, in a practice uh, session for, for Williams. Looks like he's going to get that uh, second 
vacant seat alongside George Russell, who's already been uh, confirmed for for next year. So anyways, uh, just uh, on that uh, situation about uh, leaving Formula One or not having to drive for next year, Hulkenberg said, quote, no regrets. Of course, I've done uh, mistakes like we all do sometimes that would uh, I would have liked to avoid. A few moves are things I do differently now, but it's always easy to say with hindsight. So all in all, I'm at peace with what I've achieved and I don't feel I'm retiring as a race driver. I don't feel I am leaving F1. I might not be on the grid, but if there's an opportunity, I'm going to be ready. So he did also say that uh, that there were other op- uh, you know other offers from uh, other uh, uh, series uh, like uh, and other teams, but <clears throat> he hasn't uh, really he hasn't uh, publicly said anything. Uh, he's also been uh, linked uh, with uh, possibly uh, driving in DTM. So uh, it'll be interesting to see where he he lands. I like Nico Hulkenberg. You know, I know that uh, he's he's not a top driver, but he's never really had the best of cars to to really. Um, do anything spectacular in Formula One. Here's a guy that won uh, Le Mans not all that uh, that long ago. So I'm sad to leave him. See, he's also a bit of a character. Uh, you know, I like the uh, you know I like the way that uh, he conducts himself as well. So a bit disappointing. So I'll be one to to watch and see if he he comes back. But uh, uh, you know, 32. He's not that old. Uh, certainly, plenty of uh, you know, plenty of gas left uh, in the tank. Uh, pun intended uh, for Nico Rosberg. I mean, he's not uh, too old, but uh, we'll see how soon and uh, if he's able to get back into Formula One at some point next season or in uh, in the future beyond that. Anyways, guys, I just realized I left uh, my water outside of the studio here, and we're well over an hour now. So I think this is a, a good time to uh to close it off and shut it down uh, for this week again thank you very much uh, for listening special shout out to, to all the listeners that have uh, uh they're newly subscribed and left uh, nice ratings and reviews on apple Podcasts and anywhere else it really does uh, make a difference and uh, helps uh, helps us here uh, grow the show and uh really appreciate all the kind words that uh, that we also get from you guys on twitter via email and of course if you want to get in touch with us with any questions comments feedback whatever it might be uh, you can do so on the Twitters at ScuderiaF1Pod or via email at ScuderiaF1Pod at gmail.com. Once again, my name is Mark Daly. Thank you very much uh, for downloading and listening to the show this week. One more race to go. We'll talk about it next week. And until then, we'll talk to you soon. Have a great weekend. And that's it. That's a wrap. I'm out of here. Ciao. For listening to the Scuderia F1 podcast. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, then head over to ScuderiaF1Pod.com. Want to get in touch with us? Then email us at ScuderiaF1Pod at gmail.com.